Hello and welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. On today's episode, Clayton Kershaw gets pulled during a perfect game performance. Garrett Cole gets roughed up by the Toronto Blue Jays. And our guy, Stephen Kwan, is taking the MLB by storm. And then, what can the NBA do to improve their play-in tournament? Do they need improvement in the play-in tournament? And then, lastly, who in the NBA playoffs has the most pressure on them this year. Let's discuss. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Las Vegas, Nevada, is the co-host of the year, <laughs> Matt Morris. What's up, pal? How you doing? What's cracking? Yeah, I didn't uh, didn't do so well on my initial play-in games. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of sucks. Totally yeah. wrong. Um, yeah. I think I've been. I'm over three. Actually, one for four now because. We did get the victory today. Um, Pelicans did take it home. So, Who, uh, oh yeah, you didn't take the Spurs. That's right. I did not. Right. I did not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Pelicans. The team I was wrong about was the Timberwolves. We'll get to them uh, in a little bit. That was a great game. Um, we'll get into the playing tournament, the format here throughout the pod. But yeah, I had a pretty successful um, prediction. I guess you can call it the only one I got wrong was the Timberwolves beating the Clippers. I thought the Clippers would come out on top. Uh, It wasn't a surprise to me that the Hawks beat Charlotte. It was a surprise that Charlotte clearly hasn't grown at all since getting blown out in the playing tournament last year. So they're definitely going to need to take a hard look inside at themselves and play a little bit better defense. They fucking sucked on D. Um, And then lastly, the Spurs, they had no shot against the Pelicans the whole time. They made a valiant effort at the end, but at the end of the day, they got their ass kicked. So it was an okay tournament. We'll get into the plan a little bit later. I uh, I definitely have some thoughts on maybe a tweak to make it a little bit better. But at the end of the day, I watched all the games. The NBA got what they wanted out of me and even you. I know you tuned in a little bit, but, um, you know, they got people watching games. And that's that's all that matters. Viewership is what matters. start off our first topic of the day though we got to talk about what went down in major league baseball today matt early matinee clayton kershaw is going seven innings 13 strikeouts 80 pitches perfect seven innings of perfect baseball and disco dave roberts and the analytics crew in la decided to pull kershaw because yes it is april the 13th today but man, bro, I don't know how I feel about them taking him out of the game. I'll let you go first. Did you like the decision by the Dodgers? I get it from a health and analytics stand. But where are you at on this whole situation today with Clayton? It's hard. Uh, as a baseball fan, I would have loved to see him go out there and at least compete, at least attempt to go for the perfect game. But when you look at the overall hierarchy of like this offseason for Clayton Kershaw, and then last year, you have to think about he had the elbow injury last year, which was really a forearm issue. 
this offseason in November, he did get um, plasma injections into that forearm. He didn't pick up a baseball until January. We had the lockout, which obviously shortened spring training. He's 34 years old. He contemplated retirement because of his injuries. Right. The most amount of pitches he has pitched up until this day was a 75 pitch simulated bullpen session. He said it himself after the game, you know, to look at seven innings, to look at 80 pitches, like at the end of the day, my slider was really bad the last two innings. I didn't have it in me to go out there and perform at the same level I was for the first six innings, five innings. He said, yeah, I would have loved to compete, but from a health perspective, like Dave made absolutely the right call. As a gamer, I want to be on the mound. And then Dave Roberts comments after the game regarding Clayton Kershaw's health. He said straight out, if Clayton had gotten hurt, I could not have lived with myself. So yes, I would have loved to see him compete, but I would have also loved to see Sean Manaya last week go out and pitch the final two innings of his potential no-hitter. Yep. Baseball is changing. We're looking at the long-term health. And if we think all the way back to last year, Corey Kluber was left on the mound to complete his no-hitter. Corey Kluber ended up being out for the rest of the season because he pushed his body beyond physical limits to complete that no-hitter and ended up incurring an injury the next start. So the Dodgers, as we talked about this past episode, as well as on our TikTok, they're already hurting for depth at the end of that rotation. If you leave Kershaw on the mound and he gets hurt, your entire season might change because now you're pulling up kids that may not be ready to enter that rotation. I do think it was the right move. I would have loved to see him complete the no, uh, the perfect game, but that's just not the world we're living in right now. Yeah, and I get it. I, I get it. You know, Kershaw's definitely on the back nine of his career. He's coming down the 17th, 18th hole for sure. Um, and that's why I think you go for it. You know, I, I get the long-term ramifications, but I mean, realistically, they're going to have to shut Kershaw down for a month eventually this year. It's going to happen because of his health anyways. Um, they had a shot. He had two more innings. You get a righty, a lefty warmed up. He gives up a hit. He gets a walk. You yank him, right? Uh, I, I get it. Like, I do get it. That you, I think you hit the point on the head for why they took him out. But 23 perfect games ever in the game of baseball. Clayton Kershaw, in my opinion, the best pitcher in this generation of my lifetime, right? He's been one of the most dominant pitchers of all time. And to take him out at 80 pitches, man, I, I just wish they would have went for it. I think I think he probably would have given up a hit by the eighth inning, right? He probably would have went seven and two thirds. And, you know, something could have happened. He could have gotten injured, but he could get injured next start. He could get injured at the start after that. He was dealing, man. His team was playing defense and I, I'm all for it. Like, I want to see history made. I get we're going into this analytics. We need to save him for the postseason, but. What happens if he gets hurt in two months? It's going to be like, damn, I really wish they would have just let him trot out there. I get why the team made that decision, but times are changing. Baseball is changing. And it just makes me think, Matt, it might be a really, really long time until we see an actual perfect game in Major well, League Baseball. It's hard right now. I mean, these guys, are they're not built up. Like, No one in this league right now, outside of maybe Framber Valdez in his first start, is ready to go out there and pitch 100 pitches. And Kershaw, with the injury-prone history and the age... Is that and, just because of the no uh, spring training? I mean, they missed two starts in, in spring training, two full starts. So if you think about it, at the end of their uh, their last spring training starts, a lot of these guys were hitting 50 to 65 pitches. The following start was supposed to be 75 to 80. The following start is supposed to be you know, 80 to 95. That way, first like actual game in the season, you can possibly hit 100. 
So Kershaw, this is his. I think this is his first regular season start. It was, still has yeah. two full starts before he can go 100 pitches. And again, you're talking about a guy that possibly had ligament damage in that left forearm. You know, you, you're a pitch away from being done for the season. You're a pitch away from your career possibly being over. And I, I think that's why I agree with Robert's move so much more than others is because it could be the 81st pitch, could be the 87th pitch. But if he has that incurred injury, you're talking about, man, like, why didn't he just take him out, right? It's a completely different narrative of the media. It's like, it's it's the first start of the season. It's April, like, it's April 13th, you know, yeah. All of the negative narratives, as opposed to like, yeah, you, you were dealing today, but hopefully come August, when you can pitch 120 pitches and you're stretched out, you're going to have that opportunity to go out there and throw a no-hitter or a perfect game because we kept you healthy. And in all honesty, you know, seven innings of perfect baseball, it's a great accomplishment, but the hardest two innings is the eighth and the ninth. How many times have we seen perfect games and no hitters broken up? Because at the end of the day, like the pitcher the is tired. So sure, he got through seven. He had six more outs to get. It's very hard, especially when out of his mouth, he said, I didn't have my slider anymore. It's like, damn. So you're relying on the fastball and the curveball. That's basically it. Like, eh. Another pitcher that I don't think he's got his fastball. I don't think he's got his change. I don't think he's got his curveball. What he does have is Vladdy Guerrero fucking unfolding his loaf in his mouth, my friend. Garrett Cole, two starts in a row, bro. Roughed up. Now, I know it's early. We just talked about it with Clayton. It's April 13th, right? We got a lot of time left in the season, man. But... The boo birds, the trade rumors, the hate, the issues. I say they're two starts away for Mr. Garrett Cole. I think he needs to get out of Yankee Stadium for his next start because ever since the spider tech was taken out of the league, man, his numbers have changed drastically. And he's giving up the long ball at an alarming rate. Vladdy takes him deep twice tonight. Vladdy beats them single-handedly tonight but that's not really what i want to talk about i love vlad i got him for the mvp what the hell is going on with cold matt and did the yankees make a couple hundred million dollar mistake with him all right so i'm going to scale it back a little bit who's your favorite as of right now for al mvp oh it's vladdy 100 so if you take vladdy out of this game garrett cole goes five and two-thirds of scoreless baseball um also one of the two home runs was not a home run. It was a incorrectly ruled home run, which hit off the wall. Would have been a double. Um, well, it and hit also, Hicks's glove. I mean, it also hit the top of the wall and bounced back into play. So it was technically I, I a double. I thought it hit the net, but all right. No, it didn't. I watched it, I watched it live. Um, Garrett Cole was also hitting 99. I think I counted over 10 pitches, over 99 miles an hour. Fastball looked great. Uh, curveball did not look good. Changeup did not look good. Slider could not locate. That was his issue tonight. He only had the fastball. Vladdy hit two home runs off him and a double, which almost chased him from the game. Um, ultimately, he hit the double, I think, with one out. He got an out, and then they pulled him from the game. He looked like a lot of these pitchers do. It's his second start of the season. It's not fully stretched out. I'm not as concerned as I was last year, in all honesty. The hmm. spin rate looked good tonight. Uh, for the most part, most of the hitters in that lineup couldn't catch up to his fastball. The AL MVP, presumably, hit him hard. If the MVP yeah. is hitting you hard, 
I honestly have no problem with it. You know, the best hitter should beat the best pitcher. That's how I view baseball. If you are the best of the best, you should be able to take on the best of the best and beat him. Vlad just had an incredible night. I mean, he almost lost <laughs> yeah, his yeah. finger, as we joked about. Um, but he's got to be able to locate that slider. He's got to be able to use his changeup. Those are the things where I lean back on the spider tech a lot. He had a lot of pitches tonight, too, that were just beneath the zone that I feel like with spider tech, he might be able to dot a little bit better. But he's throwing 99. The big issue with Cole has always been without the spider tech is his fastball is straight. And I'll tell you, his his RPMs, his spin rate tonight looked very, very good. So he also had good spin rate numbers after the spire tech got banned. We're just going to have to see him start to locate his his secondary pitches, right? I mean, that that goes for a lot of these guys that have unbelievable velocity being able to throw 99 miles an hour like Justin Verlander through six, seven, eight right, innings. Right. It's got to be that slider, though. His slider did not look very good. At times, he got a couple strikeouts on it, but... Um, I don't think it's a mistake yet. I want to reevaluate this at the end of May. Um, and again, I I think it's a, I think it's a step forward from his last start. If Vladdy's hitting you and the other guys aren't, that's cool, right? The issue I have is when Teoscar Hernandez is taking you deep twice or when Calvin Biggio is hitting home runs off you, right? Or Alejandro Kirk hits a double and a home run. Like that's when I'm like, oh God, the sky is falling tonight. I was actually okay with this start. No, I love that, man. That's a really good point. Um, Because I'm just looking at it from the Instagram, Twitter, hot take central, right? Like all I see is Cole hands on his head looking at, up to the sky because fucking Vladdy put one. The second homer he hit was a fucking it was a nuke. rope, it was a nuke. dude. And then you see Stanton hit a ball really hard that couldn't get out of the yard. So the wind was blowing at Yankee Stadium tonight. And to see what Vladdy did was unbelievable man but i i love your point so i, I will reevaluate here in about a month from now right we'll wait till mid-may a little bit and um we'll see how cole's doing i really do think i agree with you we i do need to take into account before i start making my hot takes over here as well is that he got blown up against very good hitters in the red Sox, right devers took him deep uh and vladdy took him deep twice like these are all star caliber players um i did not know that he was that dominant against the rest of the team and my favorite player in baseball, Vladdy Jr., um, just happened to have a career night tonight. You know, it, it was just one of those nights where everything was clicking for him. Well, I, I usually watch Garrett's starts. Like, I own him in my Dynasty Fantasy League. I've owned him for three years. Like, I have a big investment in Garrett Cole being an ace because I paid for him to be an ace. And his continuous issue over the last three years, even with Spider Tech, is the home runs. You're not wrong about that. It's always been the home run ball for Cole. And what I always date back to, like, watching these starts, it's always location. And it's always Cole being too cute early in the count. He really tries to work the corners in the bottom of the zone. And I don't understand why he just doesn't attack hitters to put himself in a better count so he can use his curveball, use his changeup, use his slider. He's almost trying to be too perfect. And, you know, one of our favorite idols of all time, Aaron Rodgers, is sometimes the same way. And it's like if you just learn to attack these guys early on because you don't have to throw Vlad and, you know, an upper inside corner fastball, which he's going to hit 424 feet if you just start the start the count off better. So that's, again, something I'm going to watch for this season. As Spider Tech has gone away, he needs to learn how to pitch at a better rate because he has been legendary before. He's got to learn how to do it without a little bit of substance. Coming into today, one of the more fun stories in the league was our guy from the Cleveland Guardians, Quan. What's Quan's first name, Matt? I don't even know his first name. Stephen Quan. 
the Guardians. I turned on Sports Center last night as I'm like coming home after watching the play-in tournament, eating a little snack. And Scott Van Pelt's talking about this dude. 115 pitches coming into April 13th. Didn't swing and miss. Once again, coming into today, 115 pitches without missing contact. First time it's ever been done per ESPNs. I think they use like Elias Analytics or something like that. Matt, unbelievable, dude. And we were talking a little bit off camera. We want to just bring it up, give him a shout out. But like this guy's taking a professional at bat. Like he's going up there and really making the pitchers work, really making the umpires job a little bit more difficult as well. Like, hey, make the call. I have my hitter, my strike zone here. Um, and, and kind of going to something that we have talked on and off about throughout baseball season last year and the beginning of this year is like the shift and all these new rules baseball's trying to bring in. I'm kind of on the side of, hey, be better, take a professional at bat. That's what Mr. Kwan is doing out in Cleveland. And you were even saying, I'm noticing that I'm seeing more of a trend in Major League Baseball of teams taking this, we'll call it the Kwan approach, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, he actually broke Anaheim's finest, David Fletcher's record. Uh, Fletcher had the record <laughs> at 100 pitches without a swing and miss, uh, which is incredible in itself. Just anyone sure. that has ever played baseball to swing and miss is <laughs> something I did very well. Um, <laughs> but but I think um, more importantly, to the comments that you made about the game kind of changing and, and players starting to take more of a patient approach, I think it kind of leans back on what we just talked about with Cole. A lot of the pitchers in the league, especially to start the season, they're trying to be cute. They're not locating very well. You're at an advantage to be able to sit back and wait for your pitch. Quan has done an incredible job of that. I mean, the triple he had this past week where he cleared the bases, he had really worked his count. He'd actually rearranged the defense on the field based on the count that he was in to be able to hit that triple. He beat the defense based on his ability to take pitches. But other other players around the league are doing the same thing, and it's something that I hope to see the rest of the season because there's only a few pitchers in this game right now that come after you and attack you. Jacob deGrom is amazing at that, and I think that's why we saw Jacob deGrom's uh, ex-Woba in his other underlying numbers last year at such a high rate because DeGrom didn't mess around. He's throwing you fastballs to start the count. He's giving it to you in the zone, and it's 99. It's 100 miles an hour. He's going to dare you to hit it. He's going to give it to you in a position to hit it. And ultimately, he puts himself in a position where it's a 1-2 count, 0-2 count. He's finishing you off. A lot of these pitchers to start the season, you know, they're messing around with change-ups on 1-0. They're messing around with change-ups to start counts or sliders to start counts. And you're building yourself into a 2-1-3-1 count where guys like Rowdy Telez today was a 3-2 count uh, in Baltimore, was able to rope a double to put the Brewers back on top in the top of the ninth. Really big opportunities for some of these guys that haven't had good batting averages to just sit back and be patient. And I think Quan is an example for a lot of different players in this league that you can still be a professional hitter without hitting the ball over the fence and be a huge attribute to your team. Uh, I, I expect this kid to possibly win AL Rookie of the Year, and I, I would yeah. never have said that to go into the season, but... I would not be surprised to see him hit 360 to finish the year. It's all about the approach. It's all about beating the defense. And, you know, I haven't seen a patient hitter like this, honestly, probably since Ichiro. Yeah, dude. And I mean, this is in this. We talked about this for the NFL, too. We're going over the overtime rules and just sports in general. Like, you know, they go in generational swings when it comes to play style and rules and how the game is attacked. Right. We were talking in the football example was we're at this ridiculously pass heavy 
type of football right now, right? And you brought it up and you made a really nice point a few episodes ago saying like I you were like I truly believe I think we're going to start moving into a more smash mouth run centric game in the next, you know, 4 or 5 years, right? Baseball's been at this conundrum where oh god, the shift is killing everything here and we're using a juice ball and now we have, you know, not juice ball and you know, spider tech and all this stuff where I I truly believe like the, maybe the hitters just need to take a better approach, right? Go where the ball is take is is pitching, right? Go and take a pitch, take a few pitches, foul some off, make the pitchers make those pitches and get after them, you know? Don't let the game and the analytics and the mental take over baseball as much as it has, right? It's simple. You put the ball in play, you make the pitcher throw six to nine pitches at an at-bat, you're going to be at an advantage. You going up there trying to hit a 450-foot nuke to right or left field and pull the ball based on where you're hitting from, obviously you're going to get out 80% of the time, right? Um, 360, Matt. (laughs) Wow. That would be... That'd be historic. I, I wh- Who's the last guy that's gone, I'll say, even like 340 and above, Matt? That hasn't happened recently. Man, uh, I'm going to go out there on a even limb. because 330? I, 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 it's been a minute. I think the number's right. I'm going to, you know, when you go on your next segment, I'll verify. I think Maurer hit 390 about 12 or 13 years ago. On the Twins? Um, on the Twins. I, I have to look it up. Um, it's, it's not impossible, man. I saw today in the Yankee-Blue Jay game, because as I said, I watched the whole game. There was a four-man outfield by both teams multiple times. I almost shit myself. I said, "What? This isn't softball. Like, what are you, you're you're rovering an outfielder like, and not even like a rover. It was four outfielders. You know, two guarding the lines, two in the gaps. It was like if you hit it in the outfield, it's being caught. And I was like." Where's the hole in the infield? There's, there's got to be there's a gotta massive be hole. Yeah. And you're not using that? like, and, and that just goes to Quan's approach where it's like Quan and Wander Franco and you know some of these kids on the, on the Royals and even the Guardians for that matter, Miles Straw, like these guys can hit the ball where other people aren't. And we're going to have to see more of that because you know four outfielders is just ridiculous. The fact that's, that you yeah, have the ball and the analytics to say, well, he's hitting it in the air. You know, might as well throw a guy out there. It means that you've really got to start to look at the approach you're taking at the plate as that hitter. Um, and yeah, sure enough, at least on the on the one that like made me dro- drop my jaw, it was hit to the left fielder or center fielder who was in the left center field softball position. And I was like, oh, okay, easy fly ball. As we talked about on the open, Matt, the play-in tournament is almost concluding. Uh, We will have the two final games Friday going on. The LA Clippers are going to be playing the New Orleans Pelicans, and then the Hawks are going to be taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. What I wanted to talk about here first before we talk about some of the matchups, some of the things that we want to discuss in the playoffs, I love the games. I thought it was awesome. I thought the play-in tournament was fun last year and this year. But I do finally have a complaint, and I think what needs to happen for this playing tournament to be taken a little bit more seriously and to have the most competitive game possible is we need to get rid of the 9-10 game. I think if you're a 7 seed, it's absolute horseshit that you have to play to get into the, to the tournament. Like, if you're a 7 seed, you should be in. I think they should just call it the wild card 
or the plane if they want to. And it's eight, nine, just like how baseball used to do it. Right. Just how football does it. They have two wild cards now, but it was one at one point. You put that last team that was super close to getting in the nine seed, right? You play them against the eight seed in the eight seeds home arena, let them duke it out. And then they get to go play the best team. I think that's the easy solution. I think that brings the most competition. And the reason I'm bringing up this complaint is because unfortunately with these nine, 10 games that went down tonight, the 13th, the day that we're recording this podcast, the game sucked. I was hyped for Charlotte in Atlanta ends up being a blowout ends up looking like the 10th best team in the conference, right? Charlotte got, they got embarrassed and they weren't a playoff team. Atlanta. Definitely. I think they're going to beat the Cavs on Friday. I think they're a playoff team. And now I think they should have just had their opportunity to play the Cavs. Whereas Brooklyn, what if Katie gets hurt? What if Kyrie gets hurt? Right. And I don't know. What if something happens and you're the seven seed and you're up five games over that eight seed. And for some reason you don't make it. I don't think it's fair. And I thought the level of competition today for a playoff type of game for these nine tens, they just weren't there for me. So that is my complaint. That is my request to the NBA is I think it's finally time. Let's just go one game wild card, wild card tournament, Friday, Saturday, whatever day you want to do it, Wednesday. Um, and we're going to have the last two teams in each conference duke it out to play the number one seed. I think that is the easy fix. But as I said in the open, it did bring viewership, man. The games were good, sort of. The nine tens sucked. The seven eights were great. Yeah, and I agree with you. The tens were absolutely terrible. Um, you know, the Spurs, an embarrassment. Yeah, right. You you look at the Hornets. It was bad. Not good. Um, and I agree with you. That, and I think what's going to be fun, I'm taking the Pelicans over the Clippers. I think the Clippers' morale is destroyed. I think Patrick Beverly ripped their souls <laughs> from their bodies. Um, and I think the Pelicans have a shot. And you're right. I think the Hawks, a lot of momentum, right? And I, I think about momentum and I think about how they took it to New York last year. Um, and I, I think I like that's the Trae same Young, kind of man. you know movement and mojo they have right now in Capella. I think he had a triple double at half. Is that right? No, he didn't have a triple dub, but he, he had a dub had, dub at half, right? Yeah, he yeah. I think he had just about like 12 rebounds at halftime. He, he was at around 12 and 12 at half, if not the yeah. beginning of the third quarter. But I mean, these 10 seeds and even all season betting against teams like San Antonio on player props or against teams like Charlotte is it's not that LaMelo isn't dope to watch or Miles Bridges or DeJounte Murray and some of these other kids, Keldon Johnson on San Antonio. The problem is they don't play defense. And in the playoffs, the play-in, whatever you want to call it, like not being able to make one stop is huge. Every time Charlotte got it to 13 points, right? They would literally let Trey Young go one-on-one with a guy like Mason Plumley who can't handle him or just be put in terrible positions and give up wide-open dunks and layups. I think at one point in the third quarter, the Hawks were 14 from 18 from the field, and I think all 18 shots were legitimate good open looks. Like, you just can't have that, bro. 14 for 18, give like 41 points in the third. It was just... You got to play some defense, man. And it, it, it was just rough. It, it was rough basketball today. And I, and I was disappointed. Seven, eight games are great. These nine, 10 games suck. My solution is have the eight, nine play. Winner takes all. Winner goes and plays the one seed. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I think I overlooked the fact that Trey Young has been here. He's done it, right? He's won a playoff series. I mean, they were in the um, Eastern Conference Finals last year because correct. of him. Yeah. And LaMelo, 
It hasn't. Bridges. Smoke, putting you see stuff smoking up. a blunt before the game. I mean, they did have to walk from the bus. Like that's I did shady. see that. That's that hilarious. Was kind of right? up, yeah. I knew when I saw that before the game tipped off, I'm like, I'm, I'm they're done. dead. It's over. Yeah. They're, dead. <laughs> they're, they're dead. pissed about having to walk yeah. from a bus. Like I'd be like, this is dope. Like what a cool entrance we get to make. Right. As opposed to these guys all bitching and complaining about like how oh, they were superstars. And we get paid millions of dollars and you have to <laughs> walk a little bit. Like, damn, heaven forbid we warm up our legs by actually doing, you know, a little bit of pregame walking. Um, but yeah, man, and I, and I think you're right. Like I like the idea of the tens in, in a competitive league, but that's not what the NBA is, right? The NBA is a league of tanking. It's a league of, uh, you know, like if we're not the one, two, three, four seed, like our season's probably over and there's just no need to have the 10 there. There was a really good article in the athletic about Popovich being interviewed about, you know, Hey, you guys had the opportunity to tank. You chose to play. You know, you chose to uh, to teach your players that like fighting and performing your best is the way to go. And he said, well, hopefully it'll help them develop as players. And now you look at them after this blow and it's like, eh, probably should have tanked because your team and your roster going into next season is the <laughs> same and nobody's coming to sign in free agency. Um, you really could have used that better draft pick. So it's interesting logic, right? With Popovich being a Hall of Fame coach, probably best of the generation in the NBA. He's up there, yeah. He's still pushing his players to play for this playing game, and here they are, embarrassed. So now that the dust is basically settled, um, we're just waiting for these eight seats to get finalized here. I want to go over this here. I I think this is going to be a pretty interesting topic is who in the NBA right now and who in these playoffs, whether that's a specific player or a team or a combination of both. And I'll let you kick this off here. Who do you think has the most pressure in the 2022 playoffs for their legacy here? In my opinion, being a novice basketball fan, a playoff basketball fan, um, it is it's Brooklyn. And it's for the simple fact that Durant and Kyrie together could have beaten Milwaukee last year. We all know that. National media knows that. The real, real basketball fans know that. Here's the opportunity together. Again, I've said it, top five when they're on to run through the East. A very, very tough, challenging conference. You know, they have to go through the Celtics first round. They're going to have to go against Milwaukee and possibly the 76ers, right? They're at least going to get two of the three. And if not the heat, um, and you really look at then the Sixers, right? Which is national narrative of James Harden. This is his opportunity to cement his legacy. This is Joel Embiid possibly, you know, showcasing his MVP form. Um, in my opinion, as again, a novice fan, I already know James Harden is a bust. I know that him and Embiid aren't enough to beat Milwaukee and are not enough to beat Brooklyn. So in terms of pressure, to me, there's no pressure. You guys suck. You can go out there and you can change my opinion. And that's the truth. You can go out there and change my opinion, but I'm not putting pressure on you because you suck. So the pressure is on Brooklyn because I do not believe they suck. I do not believe they're going to incur injuries like I did last year, which means it's time to showcase the two top five players in this league. And it's time for them to run through the East and prove to the entire league that no, I didn't need LeBron. No, I didn't need Steph. Right. And no, I may not have been able to do it myself, but I was going up against Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. Like it's not an easy feat. So together they absolutely have to get this done because if they can't, I think we're going to see a breakup. So I, I don't disagree with the Brooklyn Nets having a lot of pressure on them. I definitely think I agree with you. The pressure comes from coulda, shoulda, woulda last season, right? 
Kevin Durant's foot is a half an inch shorter from that three-point line, they send the Bucks home, right? Kyrie doesn't step on Giannis's foot, sprain his ankle, leave the, leave the series. Harden doesn't pull his hammy and play on half a hammy for that entire Bucks series. The list goes on, right? Durant sprains his MCL this year. Kyrie with all the COVID bullshit. Now he's fasting during a Ramadan. And like, not that that's a bad thing, but like, there's just always something going on with them where they do bring headlines. They do bring issues, but they are two. They're probably two of the most electric players in the NBA. Kyrie went the fuck off last night or excuse me, two nights ago against the Cavs made them look silly, dude. Kevin Durant doing his thing. I think he took like 15 or 16 shots, 25 points. Keep it moving. No big deal. Right. Um, I, I agree with you there, but I think it does nothing in comparison to the pressure that James Harden and Joel Embiid are under. James Harden has now forced his way out of town three consecutive seasons, right? Uh, he told the Houston Rockets, I, I don't want to be here anymore. Even even while they were making their title run, right? When they were in the bubble and doing all that stuff, right? He's like, ah, fuck this. I don't want to play with Russell Westbrook anymore. He's not the answer. Comes in, gets fat, gets traded. Just talked about it. Pulls his hammy last year. Um, he was definitely injured during playing against the Bucks. He tried his best, right? This year, he's healthy. Him, Kyrie, and Durant don't lose a damn game when they're playing together. Uh, wants out. Not happy there anymore. Gets his way, goes back to his old general manager, and is now playing with Joel Embiid, who is arguably playing at the elite, I might be the best player in the NBA type of level, right? So now... The reason I think that these gentlemen have the most pressure on them is because Harden is clearly on the back nine of his career. He is degrading physically. He doesn't have the first step. He doesn't have the step back. He doesn't have the lift unless he's just been bullshitting the whole last month and a half through the season. And I have said it a million times, and this is what I will be riding with throughout the playoffs. And if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard this already is I think if James Harden, a, loses to Toronto in the first round, but if he does not get to the finals this year, his legacy will be tarnished forever. And I know that's a bold take, but that's it's the truth. Like, the time is now for James Harden. There's no next year. There's no the year after that. There's no this. There's no, no more. I'm done with the excuses for this man. I expect them to make a run. That's what I expect out of them. Now, do will they? Matt, I, I agree with you. I do think they're going to choke. I, I think they might lose to Toronto. Legit. Like, I think the Raptors might actually bounce them first round, which is crazy to think. Two, um, two months ago, you couldn't have convinced me that. But I think the pressure's on the 76ers. I think it's not really much of a debate. Out of every single superstar in the NBA, no superstar has more pressure on him than James Harden, in my opinion. Well, and let's look at perception here, too. Um, again, I'm more of a novice NBA fan. You're more in the know and more of an NBA fan than I am. I think there's no disagreeing with that. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting what the national narrative is here. They're not winning at least the second round game. They're not. Like, I've, you don't, I've seen you a don't few think You don't think if they play Miami, they beat Miami? Nope, they lose to absolutely Miami? Absolutely not. They get swept. Really? You th I swear, I absolutely james harden's terrible like he's he's not only not he's good, not good anymore he yeah. would not start on milwaukee and i and i don't take that back he would not start on the milwaukee bucks 
because his style of game, his lack of shot, his lack of drive, his inability to get around a defender, he's an old man out there. And I, I'm, I'm not going to, I would bet the Raptors beat them. Like Embiid can't do this himself. He just can't. Tobias Harris is very inconsistent. The kid, um, Maxi. Yeah, Maxi's good, but the other kid that can't even play in Toronto because he's not vaccinated fully. Oh yeah, their best defender. Their best defender. Um, I I'm just so sick and tired of James Harden that there is no pressure for me. His legacy was tarnished a long time ago. Last year when he pulled his hamstring and came back and played, that was him possibly starting to rebuild the legacy. But then if you win with Brooklyn, well, it doesn't really count because you have three of the top 10 players in the league and you're only considered top 10 because you're still playing with two of the top five who are making you look better. <laughs> I, I guess my point of all of this is, again, back to perspective. The novice NBA fans have already, like, we've already written James Harden off. You know, it's the real NBA fans that are, are I agree with you, are putting pressure on Holding James on, because, yeah. because you guys remember what James was and you still see flashes of it. But at the end of the day, like he's not LeBron James, right? Like the novice NBA fan is like, wow, LeBron James didn't make the playoffs. LeBron James scored 30 points a game this season and he's older than James Harden. He's still far better of an athlete and far more explosive. James 100%. Harden is washed. It's it's his career is over, in my opinion. Yeah. He, this is it. He's done. We'll see. I, uh, I I totally agree with you. I don't think he's washed. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm just going to tell I, you, when, I, when they get bounced, we're going to have a celebration on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, for I, sure. We're, we're I'm, gonna gonna be fuck, I'm honestly going to be fucking pissed because I, 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 wa- I want to see more. I need to see them be good. And it just doesn't seem to be what's happening. Uh, moving on, the, the second team. So I think that's number one. I think the number two team, I, I like Brooklyn. I, I, I'm on board with them having a good amount of pressure. The reason I don't have as much pressure on them as this team that I'm going to bring up right now, it's more the team than the player, is because KD has won one. And, you know, it's, oh, I was with Golden State. Or, excuse me, he's won two. Oh, he's won with Golden State, whatever. He's still won, right? Kyrie, same deal. Still won, right? So when it comes down to legacy, long-term, like Kyrie hit the shot, right? He hit it over Steph. He made the shot that's going to go down in history. Kevin Durant won two finals MVPs with Golden State. However you want to mark that up, that's just facts, right? So the next team I think has the most pressure, and people aren't talking about this, is the Phoenix Suns. Everyone's penciling them into the finals, myself included. I have a, a futures bet on them to play in the finals. I think there's no reason they shouldn't come out of the Western Conference. There's no reason they honestly shouldn't win. They've been the best team all season. And they're the best team last year, too. And speaking of legacy here, we've got Chris Paul, right? He has this might be the last dance for Chris, right? Like he's he's diminished a little bit this season. He had that injury at the all-star break. He's still a solid point guard. He's very good. I think he's probably better than Harden, right, Matt? Um, Devin Booker, same deal. I thought he played great in the finals last year, shrunk a little bit, but in the game I went to game six, he he played his heart out. He tried his best, right? The Giannis just he turned it on to another level. I think if Phoenix can't get to the finals. I even think if Phoenix can't win it this year, it's going to be a massive letdown and failure on their season. I love their team. I love their squad. I love their coach. But you can't go two years in a row as the best team in the NBA and not have a little pressure on you and not have a lot of expectations of, we were so close, but we couldn't get the job done. And if that happens two years in a row, I unfortunately think it's going to... Chris Paul's the first bout Hall of Famer. But I think it's really, really 
going to put a stain on his all-time ranking and his all-time list. And I think the same will go for our guy, Devin Booker, who we both like as well. I think the Suns have the second most pressure on them in the playoffs this year. I'm going to bring this back to perspective because I look at the Phoenix Suns and what they did in the regular season this year and then making the finals last year um, as in a massive, massive accomplishment for a small market organization, for Chris Paul's legacy in Fifth general. Fifth largest city to, in the U.S. But at this a small TV market, <laughs> I'm just, though. I'm just you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's Phoenix. It's, it's Phoenix. Vegas right? is bigger than Phoenix. Vegas is like, bigger yeah, than yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, I think what Paul did for this team and leadership and everything, like to me, he cemented his legacy. Like when a ring or no ring like Chris Paul, like kudos to you. Um, but when yeah, we, we talk got, about, we got in a big ass fight over Paul last off season. We did. Too. We, we do feel differently about him. That's we did. for sure. Um, and I, again, I want to wrap this back to perspective because I think if I were to put myself in the players shoes here for a minute, I don't disagree with you. I think the pressure James Harden probably feels right now is enormous in comparison to, to Giannis and Kyrie and Durant, right? Like legacies cemented, right? They're cemented. There's no way around that. Kyrie Irving will be talked about for 50 years. Durant will be talked about as the guy that was LeBron's kryptonite Argu- for 50 Arguably years. the best scorer Score, of right? Time. There's so many yeah. things. Giannis, done. But like James and Chris, like this is Chris Paul's opportunity to take himself from like the best point guard of our generation to one of the best players of all time. Because when you look at his overall track record of winning everywhere he's gone, for the sure. proof is in the pudding. He makes teams better. And to yep. be able to bring a ring and a trophy to Phoenix, you're talking about a completely different conversation when you talk about the greatest of all time now. I and agree. I think about being in his mind and thinking about these things, right? The pressure has to be immense. But again, from the novice fan, Chris, you've already done it for me. You know, you've right. already you've already done what I would have ever asked from you. Um, even winning isn't going to change my opinion too much of you at this point. But yeah. Being in James's head, being in Chris's head, man, that pressure must be, it must be the weight of the world on their shoulders right now. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the podcast this week. We will be back next week with some playoff analysis, more baseball, and getting ready for the NFL draft coming up here in a few weeks. As always, follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at PitcherBetPod. We will see you guys next week. Have a good weekend. Cheers.